Brian, I'm praying. Helen, not you too. Bronwyn. I think that's what was happening in Corinth. In fact, I'm quite sure that was the kind of thing that was happening in Corinth. And if all of us got going, we'd have Kathy in Mandarin, we'd have Sam in Italian, we'd have Nida in Tagalog, and we've got so many languages in this church that we, the whole church would be absolutely one large confusion. And that's a problem. And that was what we noticed was going on as we've been going through this story. For those who have not been following us through, we know that Paul went to Corinth on his second missionary journey and he spent 18 months there. And as he spent his 18 months, then uh, the church was established. Now, five years later, he writes to that church because he had moved on. And, but there were problems and those problems are very real. Those problems are these. First of all, that they were an unspiritual church. In other words, worldly, selfish, thinking only of themselves, not thinking of God nor the things of God. But not only were they unspiritual, they were ignorant. And after five years as being Christians, that sounds like a big, big problem. I don't know how many of you have been Christians for just five years. Many of us have been Christians for many more years than that. But the two issues are, how spiritual are we? And secondly, how ignorant are we? Or, put it positively, are we truly spiritual? Are we truly knowledgeable? Do we know what God wants us to know? Now, of course, you would expect me to do this. So what's in chapter 1 and 2? What was the issue? Quickly, quickly, come on. Uh, uh. Okay, 3 and 4? Carnality. What about 5? You know that one? Immorality. Immorality. Yeah, these were the issues. And they were the things that were really troubling the church. Because the problems were very clear. Quarreling, divisions, carnality, immorality tolerated in the church, believers taking one another to court, disorder, disorder at the Lord's table, people getting drunk, and false doctrine about the resurrection. <clears throat> but there were these issues about marriage, about food offered to idols, and the one we're looking at now, they were completely ignorant about what true spirituality is and the gifts of the Spirit, completely misunderstanding what they were and why they were to be used, but also they didn't quite understand about the offerings to the poor. So our theme today is to look at the end of that chapter 
uh, this little segment. And the whole segment began when uh, Ivan came and looked into chapter 12. And we had two sessions with Ivan. And then Gordon last week took chapter 13. And today it's my privilege to be able to share with you in chapter 14. And so the issue is that we truly need to understand what spirituality is and we need to know what using those spiritual grace gifts truly is. Now, when Paul wrote, to the, letter, wrote the letter, his introduction was lovely. He said, you are the church of God in Corinth. What an amazing statement to think of us as being the church of God in Budrum. Wow, what a privilege for us, sanctified in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on in his introduction to say in those first verses, I always thank God for you because of his, his grace, his charity. Charity. Does that sound a familiar word to you? Charity. But it's grace. Charity. Given you in Christ. And in, in him you've been enriched in every way with all your speaking and all your knowledge. So God hasn't failed. God has given them grace to be spiritual. God's given them knowledge so that they shouldn't be ignorant. And yet the problem is they don't lack any spiritual gift so all the three issues that we needed to be talking about, all of those things have been given in full measure by God. There's no lack, none whatever. But the problem is the people. You see, the Lord Jesus had given them grace, says Ephesians 4, charis. The Holy Spirit had distributed these grace gifts, charismaton. And in equipping each of the believers with their own gift, we read that in 1 Corinthians 12. So I look out on you as believers and every one of you has been given your own specific particular gift. And the lovely thing I notice when I read it through is that God matches that gift to your personality. You're a different kind of person to me, but God makes that gift exactly suit who you are. We talk about individual miracles that Jesus did and everything that was particular about those, but equally true with the gifts. God doesn't expect you to be who you are not. He gives the gifts to you according to who you are. And that's a really, really special thing to, to me. But the trouble with the believers was they were not spiritual. They were not being controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's the complaint Paul has in chapter 3. That's why there was jealousy. That's why there were divisions. That's why they were following men. I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. You are mere infants, five years old, still on the bottle, as, I, as uh, we had the other day when Ivan was here. Five years old, but still babies. Still needing milk, not decent food. Still worldly. Since there is jealousy, and aren't you worldly? And as we read through the book, this is what we've found so far. Some of you become arrogant, chapter 4. Immorality among you, chapter 5. You're proud, chapter 5. You take one another to court. We've seen this, chapter 6. You say, I can do whatever I like, in chapter 6. Chapter uh, 6, again, 19. They did not even know that their bodies were the temple of... Talk about ignorance. And there was this serious disorder at the Lord's table. All those things we've clearly seen showing us that there was a major problem in the church and that problem was that they were a bunch of unspiritual people. The Holy Spirit was not controlling them. They were not allowing the Holy Spirit to control them. And this was a huge issue which now shows itself in all of these things. You see, 
These unspiritual believers were ignorant about the purpose and the use of their grace, grace gifts. They were still acting like little children. We read about the Spirit and the gifts being a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. But what you saw in Corinth was not a man manifestation or a revealing of the Holy Spirit. It was a revealing of their selfish nature, of their unspirituality. The Holy Spirit really had no say in what was going on in the church. And that's a huge problem in any church when there is unspirituality and when there's ignorance. And if in our church we've got unspirituality and ignorance, then we've got problems. And so we need to, each one of us, examine our own hearts, put ourselves to the test, the Bible says, and ask the question, is Jesus Christ truly within us? Are we walking in step with the Holy Spirit? Are we the people that God can truly use? It's a big issue. And that was the problem in that church. That was a manifestation of their unspirituality. Nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. So that's why in chapter 12, in the verses that I even read for us the other day, he says, now about spiritual matters. Now, if you've got a King James Bible, it'll say about spiritual gifts. But that word gifts in your Bible is in fact in, in sort of, a, uh, uh, what is it, I, uh, italics. It's not there. It's spirituality. About spirituality, brothers. About spiritual matters. Not about the gifts. About spiritual matters. I don't want you to be ignorant. So you see, this is what we understand. That when the Holy Spirit, and this is what Ivan said the other day, when the Holy Spirit is in control, then every aspect will demonstrate the Lordship of Christ. Every aspect will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's test number one. The second thing it will do is reveal unity. There'll be a unity of purpose and a variety of activity through these various grace gifts that are given to us. And no question about this purpose that God has. But it will also mean that when you use your gift and I use my gift and each one of us uses our gift, the whole church will be built up. People will be built up in their faith, they'll be built up in their lives and the church will grow and it will grow because of God's power through the Holy Spirit working amongst us. And as Gordon shared with us last week, the gifts are to be used in selfless love. Now, a lot of people say, well, my gift is... I'm sorry, it's not. Your gift is not love. The power to use your gift is love. But your, the, love is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not a gift. God has poured His love into all of our hearts. And Gordon was showing us last week those attributes of love that are really, really special. But these are the attributes that should be evident in every one of our lives, no matter what our gift is. Because every single gift is to be used in that selfless love, not to be used for ourselves. Before, as a joke, I was telling, uh, telling Brian to be quiet because I was praying. I really wanted you to hear how well I could pray in my language. And I wanted to say, I, I really wanted you people to start shouting, Hallelujah, what a lovely gift you've got. I wanted you to say, but you didn't do that. In fact, I got a ridicule from that fellow back there, Dan. Uh, I mean, Richard Daniels, he, he actually mocked me when I started in my life. Oh, and, and I mean, I feel... Hang on. The spiritual gifts that we have are nothing to do with 
ourselves. It's for God. It's for you. It's for one another as the church builds up, as the Holy Spirit controls us. And so the big issue now as we turn to chapter 14 is to understand how and when and where the speaking gifts are to be used. Here's a reading. Let me read it. You follow. Follow the way of love. Eagerly desire spiritual. Now the word gifts is not there again. It's spiritual, spiritual matters, spiritual things. Especially to prophesy. Now let me just make a, a point about prophecy. The early church did not have the Bible that you've got in your hand or on your iPad. They didn't have it. They required people, men particularly, in the church to tell them what God was saying. We're going to come to that a little later. And we're going to see that God wanted those who had this gift of prophecy to be able to reveal the mind of God. A prophet is to be an oracle of God, a mouthpiece of God, to speak God's word. In Jeremiah chapter 23, there was a big problem. In Jeremiah 23, God had to complain about those people who claimed to be prophets, but they were not speaking God's word. God said, I didn't send them, yet they spoke. They went and they spoke. I didn't give them a message. But if they had stood in my counsel, if they had heard my word, they would have spoken my word to my people and they would have turned my people from their wicked way. So God's problem then in those days was that there are many people saying, God has spoken to me, God has spoken to me. But God says they're only speaking visions of their own mind. They're only speaking the things that they want to say. They're not speaking my word. Well, there's a problem in the early church of exactly the same thing. And so what God wants is someone who will declare his word. Anyone who speaks in a tongue, says Paul here in chapter 14, does not speak to men, but to God. Now my prayer was a perfectly nice prayer. Beautiful. And so was Brian's. And so was Helen's. And if I remember rightly, Bronwyn was actually sharing something out of God's word for us in Romanian. Perfectly right. But you and I couldn't understand a thing. of I couldn't understand a word of what Brian says. And he probably didn't understand too much of what I said. But my prayer was a really nice prayer, actually. And it's the kind of prayer that I would be, I'd be delighted to pray among my Indian brothers and sisters. But it, I was speaking to God. I wasn't really speaking for you or to you. No one understands him. He utters mysteries. But everyone who speaks prophecies, in other words, speaks God's word, which is what I'm doing now, you understand me perfectly well. And what happens is that there's strengthening and there's encouragement and there's comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies or speaks God's word edifies the whole church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would much rather have you prophesy, because the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, I was in a church in Bombay where there were nine different languages being spoken, and that was a problem. I only understood two of them. The other nine, unless there was someone who interpreted, basically I was sitting there and daydreaming because I couldn't follow a single thing that was going on. I think Corinth was pretty much like that. I don't know how many languages they had, but it was going on. And Paul is saying, I want 
anything that's said in the church. He says, if I come to you and I speak in tongues or another language, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the flute or a harp or the piano, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Amber, would you go to the piano there? And I want you to just go plonk on the piano three times. And that's, we're going to sing majesty, okay? Just plonk. Well, no, plonk, plonk, plonk. I mean, we don't know which note to use to start. When, when, now, just play the opening note of majesty. Can you do that? Oh, you can't do without music. Okay, well, never mind. Don't worry. You know what I mean. You get the point. There we go. So now I know how we... Now that's exactly what Paul's saying. If, if Gordon gets his guitar and goes, nah, that sounds like the, who was it, the Rolling Stones or something like that. Uh, nah, it's a horrible noise. You haven't a clue what note to start the, the song on. Thanks, Amber, you can sit down. <laughs> and that's exactly what Paul says. A flute or a harp or a piano or a trumpet or a guitar. How will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's a clear distinction? As if the trumpet doesn't sound a clear call, who, who will get ready for battle? Now, for you and me, the trumpet doesn't mean a great deal, but a siren does. And if you hear a siren, yesterday I had Glad on the bike down at uh, Malulabar, and as I was riding along the front of Malulabar, I heard bells going inside a building and red lights flashing. And the moment I saw those bell, heard those bells and saw those red lights, guess what I understood? There's a fire risks. And sure enough, who should turn up but the fire brigade? Now the point I'm saying is simply this, that if you don't get a clear indication of what the danger is or what's required of you, then you don't know what to do. And that's exactly what Paul is saying regarding to the speaking, the use of speaking gifts in the church. Unless you speak with intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking to the air. There are all sorts of sounds, and that's what I was saying a few moments ago in the world. I can hear the air conditioner. Is that a dog? We hear a sound. And the moment we hear a sound, oh, somebody dinged that thing there. <laughs> we, we know, we know. The moment you hear a sound, immediately your mind processes that sound and says, that's a bird, that's a crow, that's a dog, that's a squeaky wheel. Somebody dinged that thing. We know. And so every sound, unless it communicates something, is a problem. If I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying to me, I am a, what's the Greek word there, Lindsay? Barbarian. In other words, I sound like a someone saying ba ba. That's what I thought Brian was saying. Ba 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 ba. Oh, I didn't understand a word he was saying. Ba ba ba. And when I spoke to you, uh, Richard Daniel very rudely said, uh, and same to you or something of that nature. Ba 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 ba. And that's exactly what the Bible says. If we don't hear and don't understand what's being said, then we are a barbarian. Ba 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 ba. You may as well be saying ba 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 ba. Now, I've used this many times before, and Ivan referred to it, but he didn't put up the chart. 
but I've given it to you in your notes and I hope that you look very carefully at it because here we've got the lists of the gifts as they were written. The first Corinthian letter was written from... Where was it written from? Ephesus? On Paul's third journey. The Roman letter was written also from that area on Paul's third journey. The Ephesian letter was written from Rome while Paul was in prison and Peter wrote his letter probably later than those of Paul. You'll notice a couple of distinctives about this particular list. You'll notice that those gifts that are sign gifts, and I've put them there as miracles, healings, tongues and interpretation, are only in the list to the Corinthians. They're not even mentioned in Romans. They're not even mentioned in Ephesians. They're not mentioned in 1 Peter. It seems that this was because of the misunderstanding of the church in Corinth about the use of the gifts. Is there a gift of miracles? Yes, there is. Is there a gift of healing? Yes, there is. Is there a gift of tongues? Yes, there is. Is there a gift of... Yes, there is. And Ivan was very strong about this the other day and I agreed with him. God is sovereign. God uses these things. But one thing I want you to notice, and this is something that Gordon will clap about, is that every time the gifts are mentioned, then the word love occurs immediately with it. There's the gifts and there's love. There's the gifts. Chapter 12, verse 9, love. In Ephesians 4, in verses both 15 and 16, after the gifts are mentioned, then speaking the truth in love, building yourself up in love. And in 1 Peter, when the gifts are mentioned in chapter 4, verse 8, uh, Peter says, and above all, and more importantly, the most important thing is have this love, the love which covers a multitude of sins and this kind of love that overflows. Now, when I look at you in our church here at, at Budrum, where am I going to be looking? Which is the list that I think is most appropriate to our church? Can I look for apostles? Any apostles? No, I can't see too many. Any prophets here? I don't see too many of them. But I do see, when I look at you, I see those who've got the gifts of wisdom. And you know in the church who's got the gift of wisdom. Some have got knowledge. Some especially have got faith. There are some, and my wife was one of these, who had a lovely gift of discernment. She used to put me right so many times. There are those of us who are teachers. There are helps. And there are those who are rulers or administrators. And I look at a couple of our brothers and sisters and I say, thank God for them because I would never be able to keep things in order the way they are able to keep things in order. But then as we move down, as I say, the word prophecy comes in there. And I remember what Ivan said the other day. He said that sometimes there is a very urgent need of a special message to be given to the church. I want to tell you that in my life experience, 50 years of it now as a Bible teacher, missionary, that there have been about six or seven occasions when I have had such an urgent, urgent message to give to God's people that the message I came up prepared to give was pushed aside and the Holy Spirit took over and the Holy Spirit spoke through me in an incredible way. Now, I take no responsibility for that. The Holy Spirit takes all responsibility for that. But the point I make is this, that that gift will be related to those who have the gift of teaching. 
because you need to have the knowledge of the word that the Holy Spirit is able to pick up and use and be able to do it straight away. For example, in one occasion I was in Perth and I was attending this meeting and I got this great urge to speak from Hosea chapter 5. What's in Hosea chapter 5? Who knows? Well, that's the point. Because I had studied these things and because I've had all of these years of experience, then Hosea chapter 5 and chapter 6 becomes something that the Holy Spirit is able to take and use. And I can give that urgent message. And it was a very powerful message that needed to be spoken and God was able to use me on that occasion. There's been others and I won't bore you with them. But in our church, we've got lovely gifts of serving, men and women. We've got lovely gifts of teaching, men and women. Where did that go? I think I... Did I wreck it? Must have, yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, we've got beautiful gifts of those things. And then encouraging. I just thank God for so many of you who've got that gift of encouraging. There are those who've got very special gifts of giving, of, of sharing and helping. Others who have leadership abilities, men and women, and this showing mercy. And then, of course, I just look out there and I can see the evangelists and I look over there at Ron Turner and I see Noel over here and I see Ev Bell and I see others who've got the lovely gift and some of you others have got lovely gifts of evangelism. You can't shut them up. (laughs) They keep talking. They just keep talking about Jesus. And praise God for them. Those that have got the gift of evangelism. I wish I had it. And then there's pastors, those who've got that shepherding heart, who care for people. They really do. And it's obvious that some of our sisters have that gift, some of our brothers have that gift, some of you young people have got that gift. I look out and I see some of you there and I know that you just care. You care about people. You care about what's happening in people's lives and you pray. And then, then, well, Peter doesn't mess around. He says, look, there's two kinds of gifts. There's speaking gifts and there's serving gifts. And I think I told you some time ago, in my church in Adelaide, I did this survey. I did a, a whole series on the Holy Spirit and the gifts. And I did a survey. And we found that for every one person in the church who had a speaking gift, there were 10 people in the church who had serving gifts. Which one's more important, speaking or serving? Well, they're both. They're both. They're both important. But if we were all big mouths like mine, I mean, that'd be a big problem. But because we've got people behind the scenes who are serving and who are there doing God's work, it's something really special. So we need to look at these things. The trouble is that the Corinthians were fascinated by those sign gifts. And I've spoken about them. But I want you to remember what the Bible says about sign gifts. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, it says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Full stop, no. This great salvation that was attested to you by signs and wonders and miracles... And so the salvation was attesting, uh, attested to by the sign gifts. And then in Acts chapter 2.22, Jesus, on the day of Pentecost, Peter said about Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by miracles, signs, and wonders. 
So the sign gifts are not for the everyday use of our church. I mean, God can do miracles and he does it for me. God can do miracles and he does it for you. I'm not downplaying God's ability to do miracles, not one little bit. But we're not talking about what God has done in your life or my life or individual lives. We're talking about God doing these great signs, wonders and miracles out into the world, into the community. And God used them in the days of the Lord Jesus. He used them to attest to who Jesus is. He used them in the days of the apostles to make people listen to the gospel and understand that this was from God. And I could say a lot more about it. But what the believers at Corinth were doing was actually revealing their immaturity. And look, it sounds judgmental on my part for me to say that churches that focus on the miraculous and the sign gifts are actually showing something. And I suggest that they're showing that they haven't gone on to that spiritual knowledge and the spiritual maturity. In fact, this is what Paul says. Brothers, stop thinking like children. He says, in regard to evil, be children, but in your thinking, in your knowledge, in your practice, be like adults. So we've got some challenges now. And the first challenge is this. We need to apply the test of usefulness to speaking gifts. Remember, there's two speaking gifts being talked about here, tongues, and the other one is teaching or revealing God's word. First of all, all gifts are to be used in selfless love. That's what chapter 14, verse 1 says. But all speaking gifts, now, here are the tests. First, the message must edify or build up the church. Now, when I prayed before, you all looked at me askance, and some of you mocked and laughed, and then Brian started off, and then Helen, and then... We didn't edify the church. We, we sort of amused the church. But since then, I've been trying to edify. I've been trying to enlighten you. I've been trying to encourage you. Secondly, the message must be clear. And that's that business about unless there's a clear sound coming from the piano, we don't really know what to sing. Unless there's a clear message coming from the pulpit, from the teachers, then we don't really know what it is that we can believe. But the message must also bear fruit. It's very clear. And it also, the message must encourage it must instruct believers. You can read those verses again in chapter 14, verse 1 to 19. Now it's clear that the gift of prophecy or speaking God's word meets this standard, but it's also equally clear, as I tried to show you at the beginning, that the speaking in other languages requires an interpreter for it to be of any use in this church. Malcolm and Dorothy have just been to Myanmar, and Malcolm used an interpreter almost all the time he was there. When I travel on my missionary journeys, then I use an interpreter. John uses one. And we use one when we go to various places in India, Africa, or wherever. And we can convey God's word. We can encourage God's people. We can build them up when we have an interpreter. And that's what God says. Unless you have an interpreter, then really the speaking of other languages in our church is of no value, whatever. But now we need to notice the difference, not only the how, the when, the why, and also the test, but what we read is clearly this. Speaking in other languages is a sign for unbelievers. Now that's very clear in your Bible. Did you notice it there? It's a sign for unbelievers. Now that's not what's being taught in some churches, 
But here we clearly understand that it is a sign for unbelievers. And Paul makes a note about Isaiah's day when God would use an unknown tongue to spread the message of his judgment among the unbelieving Jews. Now I want to speak what I understand to be the, the, the truth about speaking in other languages or, or tongues. They're mentioned only three times in the Acts of the Apostles. That's a surprise to a lot of people. Three times. I often say, well, let's do a little head count and see how many people we read of in the whole of the Bible who actually spoke in other languages in this context. Well, if there were 120 people in the upper room, and that's speculation, possibly only 12, but maybe there's 120, so we'll tick that up. Now, some of you have got good, good mathematical minds, so just think 120. But then when I come to Acts chapter 10, and I read about the house of Cornelius, and he brought his relies, and he brought his friends, and they all gathered to hear Peter, and they were the second group, and by the way, they were Gentiles, the second group that spoke in other languages, then how many do you think, come on, be generous, how many do you think it might have been in, in Cornelius' house? How many could you fit in your house? 20, 30, 50? Who goes for 100? Well, I'll say 100. I'm really generous, okay? So we got a, how many was the first lot? 120. Now we've got another 100. Then when we come to Acts chapter 19, we've got John's disciples. Now, they were people who did not yet know that Jesus died on the cross. They were people who did not yet know that Jesus had risen from the dead. They did not yet know that Jesus had gone back to heaven. And so they had been baptized... But they'd been baptized according to John's baptism. They had not been baptized according to the gospel, according to the New Testament idea. How many were there? Well, there was 12. Now, 120 plus 100 plus. How many have we got? Now, I think I'm generous. And that is how many people actually speak in other languages in the, New Testament, in the Acts of the Apostles. Apart from 1 Corinthians, where obviously it's out of hand, it's out of control, and things aren't as they should. But what we also know is that in Acts chapter 2, what was said was understood in the dialects of the people. And there's a great lot of people there. You read that story in Acts chapter 2 and you read of them coming from all over that region. And every one of them heard it in my, our own native dialect. And the Greek word is specific our dialect, our language. The other question that comes to my mind, does speaking in other languages, is it an evidence that you are filled with the And the answer is no. Because the Corinthians were definitely not filled with the Spirit. They were unspiritual. That's the problem. They are unspiritual people. Yet they're still speaking in other languages. So speaking in other languages is not an evidence of, speak, uh, of being filled with the Spirit. Secondly, or the thirdly, fourthly, it is, are of no benefit to the church unless their meaning is interpreted, but also we've seen it's a sign for unbelievers. Now, I have some very dear friends, and there are some of you here, who have special spiritual experiences where you speak in a, a special language in your prayer. I honor you if that is from the Holy Spirit, and I suspect it is because I know you well. It is a personal and a very private experience 
that leads or should lead to a deeper devotion to Christ and his word. And I identify that thing that's happening in your life with Romans chapter 8 when you don't, in certain circumstances, know how to pray. But the Holy Spirit helps you to pray. And Romans chapter 8 says he does so sometimes with groanings and indistinguishable sounds that can't really be... well. If that is your experience and it leads you to a deeper devotion to Christ, then God bless you. But it does not indicate that you alone are a person who's filled with the Spirit and have reached that spiritual height. When I read Acts again in Acts chapter 4, 8, it was Peter and John filled with the Spirit who were able to heal that man and spoke to the crowds. In chapter 6, 3, the deacons of the church were men who had to be filled with the Spirit. In 7:55, it's Stephen who was able to look up into heaven and full, filled with the Spirit. He said, well, we know what he said. In 13:52, the whole church was filled with the Spirit and with great joy. And Corinthians 12, we know that those who are filled with the Spirit are those who are baptized into the body of Christ. Now, I have an issue here. My issue is this, that I have experienced and heard of people who are being coached on how to speak in tongues. They're told you need to exercise your lips. <laughs> Get your lips nice and easy. You've got to practice. That's not of God. The second thing I'm told is that you have to say a word and repeat it again and again and again and again. Well, funnily enough, my Indian Hindu language teacher came to me and one day in our studies, he said to me, oh, my priest down at the temple told me that I would have a wonderful God-like experience if I simply repeated the word, the name of God, Rama, 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 Rama. He said, I did, I did, I did. And I found I wasn't saying Rama, Rama, Rama. I was saying Mara, 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 Mara. And that means kill, kill, kill. Where do you think that comes from? Who would want to kill, kill, kill? You see, it's a problem if there's a coaching, trying to get people by you repeating a word. In Adelaide, they had an older brother there, lovely chap, and he was sharing me one day that he'd actually got converted in one of the churches that insists that when you get baptized, you must speak in other languages, in other tongues. But he couldn't. And finally, after sitting in the water for five minutes, the preacher said to him, please do something. Please say something. It's so cold. Hurry up and say something. Just say anything. Just do anything. We ought to got to get out of the water. So he said, bah, 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 bah. Oh, praise God, our brother's got this. Now, that sort of business is absolutely not of God. But what my dear friends, who have their own spiritual experience, I honor them. It's a private, it's a personal, and they use that experience in very deep and fervent prayer before God. I don't. Ivan didn't, he told us the other day, but they do, and I honor them because I know that they are deeply spiritual, godly people. But you've got to be careful. And the reason you've got to be careful, go, when you go home, Google charismatic Mormons. Ah, there you go. And when you Google charismatic Mormons, you'll say, Hi, I'm Kathy. I'm a born-again, spirit-filled, crazy, charismatic. 
Book of Mormon lover. Hang on. Mormon doctrine teaches, among other things, that Jesus is the Son of God with three brothers. Lucifer. Who's the other one? Michael and Gabriel. Where and how does the Holy Spirit fit into that? Or if you Google again, charismatic Muslims. What's compelling so many people towards Islam? This chap wrote, and I got this from, the, from Google, following a hunch, I began to search for evidence of charismatic practices within the Muslim. I found some, probably Sufis, the more mystical denomination of Islam. You could change the clothes, you could dub in some gospel music and it would be no different to, and this is what it says, Pentecostal events. So there is a great problem of people being deceived and that's why I say no one should ever be coached into this kind of experience. If it comes from God, it's God. But if men manipulate it and try and force it to happen, then it's not of God. Dr. Merrill Unger writes, some Christians talk in tongues, but so do some Mormons, some devil-possessed spiritists, heathen witch doctors. It's, it is not of itself necessarily of God. That tongues can be and are counterfeited by demon spirits is evidenced. It must be remembered by those who try to make tongues a badge of spirituality, the height of spirituality, that speaking in tongues and their interpretation are not peculiar to the Christian church but are common in ancient pagan religions and in spiritism both ancient and modern. And you can find that quote too on Google, Dr. Merrill Unger. So beware. And a lot of people are getting really confused about some of these things. But in contrast to tongues, and we've seen that tongues have a place and God uses them, but here we read that in our church, what God really wants is that there be a very clear proclamation of God's word. Something that will build up and encourage and something that presents an absolutely clear message so that if an unbeliever walks in here, they will clearly see and know if they'd walked in when Brian was carrying on before and Helen was butting in, they'd have thought, what on earth goes on in this place? Well, that was staged, I have to confess. But at the same time, it gave you the idea of what it was that was going on in the church in Corinth. And, and Paul says, if they come in and hear you lot, they'll think you're mad. Well, so they would. Now, the last thing, and I'll quickly finish here. The use of these speaking gifts must be orderly. And there's a long quote. And what then shall we say, brothers, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. All things must be done for the strengthening of the church. So there's, a, there's an important thing. If anyone speaks in a tongue, then two or at the most three should speak at any one time and someone must interpret. Now put yourself into Corinth, which was cosmopolitan. Think of all the different languages that might have been used there. Think of my church in Bombay where nine languages were very commonly being used. It was a waste of time for an awful lot of people because they had no interpreters. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church. So Brian, shush. And I'll, I'll sit down too. I won't speak. Okay. Speak to himself and speak to God. Two or three prophets should speak 
In other words, others should weigh carefully what is said. If a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, then the first speaker should stop. So if you've got a more urgent message than what I'm giving you, I'll gladly sit because God wants your voice to be heard as well. You can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirit of the prophets are subject to the control, so nothing gets out of hand. God is not a God of disorder, but a God of peace. As in all the congregations of the saints, the Helen, Bron, the women should remain silent in the church. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission. Sorry about that. As the law says, if they want to inquire about something, ask their husbands. If you haven't got a husband, ask your dad. If you haven't got a dad who's a believer, then come ask the elders, because they act as your spiritual fathers. And Paul then says, gives them a bit of a stir. Did the word of God originate with you? Now you can read all that yourself. But what I want to note is that there is to be a discipline in our church. And every church. Everything that's done in the church must be for the strengthening of the church. The use of tongues in their case, and, and it would be so in our case, is to be restricted for just two or three, then only with an interpreter. Everything is to be in an orderly way. Others are to confirm the message of those who speak God's word and there should be an opportunity. If there's an urgent message for God, then we have to make allowance for that and I'm gladly sit down if you've got that very urgent message for our church today. And of course, we've learned as we've gone through Corinthians that the women have to accept the place that God has ordered for them within the church. Does that mean they don't have gifts? Not at all. Does it mean they don't have opportunity? Not at all. Half of the population of the world are women. You have a priceless opportunity to be able to serve God amongst them. But when it comes to the gatherings of the church, our understanding here is quite clearly that there is a special place for you, but it's not that you should teach the church. That responsibility has to be with the men or lead the church. And you can see those other scriptures there. So I want to conclude with this. The issue is not about the gifts. God had given the gifts. They didn't lack any gifts. And I look at you and you don't lack any gifts at all. I mean, there's amazing gifts. In, oh, she dinged that thing. The <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Lucy. Okay. As spirit-controlled believers, and that's the issue, remember, as spirit-controlled believers, here we've got a throne. Some of you have seen all these illustrations of mine before. But there's the throne of your life. The throne of your life in your heart. By that I mean in your whole inner being. Christ, as a believer, Christ is on the throne. And as a spirit-controlled, a Holy Spirit-controlled believer, you will love God with all of your heart and soul and mind. And as Gordon was sharing with us last week, you will love others selflessly because we have submitted to Jesus as our Lord and King, right? That's the spiritual believer. But the sad, sad story about Corinth was this, that that big I is back on the throne. The Greek word for I is ego. Do you know that word, ego? Do you know what ego means in our English language? It means a big you, big self, a big I. Well, it's true. In an unspiritual believer, an unspiritual believer, they will manifest these horrible things of selfishness and pride and lust and rebellion. And it will always result in constant spiritual defeat in the personal life. But within the church, 
it is always division and strife and troubles. So for us, the issue is this. What is, oh I should say my, not our, what is my spiritual condition? And I would like you to say that too. What is my spiritual condition? Is Christ on the throne? Is your life demonstrating the Spirit's control? Or is your life full of these other horrible things? Well, that indicates to me that Christ has been dethroned. And that indicates also that your life is really not doing what God expects of it. Your gift is not being used in the way that God expects it to be used. And so for you and me, the question is simply this. What are we doing about our spiritual state? What are we doing about our ignorance or failure to understand some of these things? Let me pray in English. Father, you've been good to us. You have a clear message for us from 1 Corinthians. And above all things, we want to be the people that you can use we want to be the people who truly are available to you so that this church and others are being encouraged and built up and instructed in your word and going on to bring glory to you. We don't want division. We don't want strife. We don't want party spirit. We don't want any of these things because all of these things simply indicate that we are becoming unspiritual. But as we look to the future, we want to be a... a a community of believers, an assembly of believers in Christ who truly seek your face and truly walk in step with your spirit. So we thank you for the time we've been able to spend together. We ask that you bless us all now and as we share a time of fellowship, we pray that each of us will experience to its fullest the grace of our Lord Jesus, that we might truly know the love of God which has been poured into our hearts, poured in lavishly into our hearts, let it overflow to touch other lives too. And we pray that we will experience the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We give you our thanks and ask for your blessing in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.